from the Duck South Studios in Morgan City, Mississippi. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. I want to punch you in the face so bad right now. This is the On The X podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com. I didn't get a harumph out of that guy. Get the governor harumph. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Today's episode is brought to you by Advantage Multi from Bayer. Advantage Multi is veterinarian's number one choice in the prevention of heartworms, fleas, roundworms, hookworms, and whipworms. Treats and controls sarcoptic mange. Make sure your dog is protected by using Advantage Multi. I said what I said and I'll stand by it to the death. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? And now, here are your hosts, Jay Paul Jackson. You just love to hear yourself talk, don't you? Even when you're not saying anything. Rocky LaFleur. Yo, Adrian! Adrian! Houston Kennedy. Please, Houston, we have a problem. And Josh Webb. Coons. We're raccoons trying to get on our back porch. Mama just chased them off with a broom. Welcome to the On Next Podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com. I'm Jay Paul Jackson, and today I'm joined by my co-host, the illustrious Rocky LaFleur from the Morgan City Studios in Morgan City, Mississippi. And we have a very, very special guest with us today, all the way from the West Coast, the left coast of the United States, Scott Feist of Feisty Fish Guide Service. Scott, buddy, great to have you on here with Rocky and I. How you doing today? Hey, doing great. Super excited to join you guys. You know, Scott, what, what, Scott when I joined y'all, I heard y'all talking politics, and by any means, I don't ever want this podcast to turn into a politics or a sports podcast because it's all about hunting, but I heard you and Jay Paul laughing about the election. I, I bet you're not seeing a lot of Trump voters out in California, are you? Man, you know, it, it is the left coast, unfortunately. You know, the area I live is fairly conservative. You know, you get north of Sacramento, Sacramento North, or Capital North, uh, you know, it's it's conservative, but the majority of the votes and everything is Sacramento South, you know, San Francisco, L.A., San Diego. The whole southern part of the state holds the majority of the votes and representatives. So, yeah, it's uh, it's tough. It's uh, it's it's a scary thing that we're we're kind of dealing with right here. You know, my, my little small town of Yuba City, which is, a, you know, about an hour north of uh, Sacramento, you know, is a very conservative farming uh, town. Uh, you know, good moral ethics and, you know, a religious town and, and uh, you know, just good quality people. And, you know, the further south you get, the the worse it gets definitely in California. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny, Rocky, that you asked that question because, and, and I want to get right on into duck hunting in a moment, but uh, this actually would be a pre- pretty good segue. So I think for a lot of us here in the southeastern United States and SEC country, we have this, if you've never been to Northern California, we have this perception of California as being, you know, uh, left-wing, you know, tree huggers, granola eaters, you know, big-time Democrats, and we pretty much label the entire state or paint the entire state with that brush. I know for me personally, I definitely did that. Before my first trip to Northern California to hunt, you know, I just assumed that almost everybody from California leaned to the left and, you know, would joke about it as the left coast. 
However, a couple of years ago, I got to travel to Northern California and I got to hunt with Scott and spend some time with him and some of his buddies. And in that area of the country, nothing could be further from the truth. It has a very um, Arkansas or Mississippi Delta feel to it. And I was very, very surprised when I got there at how in that part of the state, people really are very, very conservative. And, uh, you know, one of the things we're going to touch on here in just a second, when you pull into Yuba City, it's funny. It's one of three towns in the United States that I've been to that when you come into town, there's a big sign that says duck hunting capital of the world. And duck hunting in Yuba yeah. City, California is a lot like duck hunting on the Arkansas Prairie. I mean, you're you're hunting in rice fields. The only difference is if you look, you know, if you're if you're facing south, if you look to your left, you see the snow caps of the Sierra Nevadas, and if you look to your right, you see the coastal range. But other than that, yeah, yeah. it is you, very much like Arkansas, you, isn't it, Scott? Yeah, you you couldn't have nailed it any better. I mean, and that, and that's really the truth. You know, a lot of people kind of get a little bit confused. You know, we don't grow as much rice as like places like Arkansas. You know, Arkansas grows about 3 million acres of rice. But, you know, we grow pretty close to about 600,000 acres of rice right here in the Sacramento Valley. So, you know, just alone, just the valley itself, uh, you know, it really is a lot like South. And, you know, and we think a lot like South. So, unfortunately, we do kind of get, you know, people from the East. And when I travel around, you know, everybody's like, man, you're from California. And like you said, they think of beaches and, and, and surfers and this kind of thing. You know, our state's uh, quite diverse, especially getting north of Sacramento. I mean, we are in the heartland of duck hunting. I mean, we have one heck of a flight of birds that migrate here into the valley. When I came online we before we started recording the podcast, uh, you and Jay Paula were talking about the season opens this weekend. Is that correct? Yes, it does. So here in the Sacramento Valley, our, our general season uh, opens uh, this Saturday, the 22nd, uh, and then we hunt all the way through with no breaks. I know some places back where you guys are at have, you know, a week break or two different seasons that are split. We hunt straight through until uh, January 29th, which is that last Sunday in January, and then we have a little bit of a break, and then we have a conservation season in the valley, which is a short five-day window to kill snow geese, and then if you head further north in the kind of the northeastern corner of California, um, there's another 30 or so days that you could chase snow geese as well. You know, I think it's a great deal that we have you on the podcast, you know, today with your season and opening Saturday, you know, because when Jay Paul and I were preparing for this podcast, one of the things that we were going to talk about was preparation. And we, we, with all three of us being here, we, we all have a variance in what we're doing right now to prepare for the upcoming duck and goose season. And, you know, Scott, we'll start with you since you, you know, it, you're the closest to the, your opener. You know, what, what do you have in your plans this week as you prepare for that season to open on Saturday? Sure. Yeah. I mean, and, and preparation is key, you know, especially, uh, you know, to really produce and kill a lot of birds. Preparation is key before the season. My favorite thing to do, especially right now, because they just finished rice harvest for us. Like, I actually just got a phone call before I got on this podcast. You guys from one of my farmers saying, hey, the rice is off, the rice is chopped, uh, you know, water is available next week, what are we doing? So right now is the time that I really spend in the fields, brushing my blinds, getting out there. It's nice to be able to, uh, you know, obviously drive out and not worry about the water being flooded yet. 
um, drive out to the blinds, take your time, and really, really conceal all my pit blinds. Now, I hunt uh, kind of two different styles, probably similar to some. I know Jay Paul hunts a lot of rice. You know, the majority of our hunting here in the valley, which we do have some natural pieces, and we hunt some flooded timber and stuff when we get a lot of rain. Not your guys' kind of flooded timber, but like Sacramento River and these kind of things, little pockets. But the majority of our hunting is, you know, just rice fields. And we put, you know, metal steel pits inside the checks, you know, four-man, eight-man blinds, three-man blinds, and what have you. And, uh, you know, this is the time of year to get out there, uh, you know, not only bug bomb the blinds from last year, take inventory, do I need new stools, but really sit back and look um, look at your blinds and really put, you know, some nice Gibson covers or whatever kind of covers you're using and really, really, really sit back and evaluate everything before water's put on it. Yeah, you know, and, and you pointed out just then, too, that you open up this Saturday and you go all the way through the end of January. And one of the things that I'd like to touch on, your season lasts 107 days in the Pacific Flyway and you can kill up to seven mallards. So you've got more liberal bag limits. You've got a much longer season than we have, almost twice as long. I want to ask you, how does that affect your preparation? I mean, you said that season opens Saturday, and you've got fields you haven't even started to, to pump yet. So the early part of the season in your area, do you just kind of discount that, or do you have ducks already? Well, that's a great question. We We have a lot of ducks here right now. We have more geese than ever but we have a good good chunk of ducks in the valley already there's still a tremendous amount coming the majority of them are up in that klamath Tule basin which is kind of california oregon border um and there's a lot of birds coming i mean by no means are all our ducks here nor our geese are here uh i i personally have never seen so many specks so early which is an awesome sight to see there's a tremendous amount of specks in the valley right now but yes okay i really start running guide trips around the middle of November. Is there some good hunting opportunities in the Sacramento Valley for opening weekend um, for the first couple weeks? Absolutely. Especially the guys that have, you know, marshes, wetland type stuff, you know, your Thule ponds, uh, you know, your willow berms, these kind of things. These guys have been holding birds for the last, you know, six weeks, two months, and some of these early birds are migrated down. Um, Those guys are going to do great. You know, they're going to shoot them. Some of the guys that got the rice uh-huh. off early, uh, they're going to do great. They're 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 going to kill some birds. But our season, um, yes, it is a long season. But just kind of like you know, I'm also a fishing guide as well as a hunting outfitter. It's just just because salmon season opens or striped bass season opens here on the west, it doesn't mean it's instant slam dunk killing limits of ducks every day, limits of geese. The opportunities are definitely here for the guys that have had water and birds, but our season bread and butter is from Thanksgiving to the end. So it's, it's very similar to ours. The reason why I ask that is because, you know, Rocky operates commercial guide service, Mossy Island Outfitters, like your feisty fish guide service. And I am the managing partner of a very large private duck club. So all three of us have to prepare and, Right now, with our season, it opens uh, around Thanksgiving, both in Tennessee and Mississippi. And, you know, I'm just now starting to prepare also. Um, Actually, I have been for the last couple of weeks. You know, Rocky, you asked me about it. For me, I think that 
Um, and I just wrote a blog about this that'll be available both at the hardcore-brands.com website and we'll be sharing it with our folks on DuckSouth.com. But I, when I start preparing, I try to begin with the dogs at least eight weeks in advance and with my other preparations um, at least six weeks in advance. And I kind of look at three key things in, in starting to prepare for duck season. Number one, I want to give myself plenty of time to get my dog in condition, or dogs in our case, since we have a commercial kennel, you know, and you can't do that the week before season. So our final tune-up for dogs that uh, come in just to be tuned up for duck season, we have all those in by the 15th of October, which was Saturday. And, you know, I want those dogs six to eight weeks to really have them prepared. And then I look at two other things, too. My equipment, which is something that I worked on last night. You know, nothing is more nerve-wracking than coming to the night or the two or three days before duck season, and you pull out your decoys and you realize you've got a mess. You know, don't wait till the last minute. Don't be a procrastinator. I currently am going through our entire inventory of decoys, and I plan on having those completely done by the end of the month. And then number three, getting your blind ready, something that Scott just hit on. You know, whether you're hunting in California, Tennessee, or Mississippi, when those birds start to arrive, they're going to be taking a look at the landscape. And, you know, Scott was saying that his hunting really kicks off around Thanksgiving, but they've already got birds there, and he's starting next week working on his pits. And, you know, you want to do that as far in advance as you can because you want those birds to be used to the landscape and what they're seeing, particularly birds that have been around for a little while. If you wait and you come in two days before the season begins, bring in a new blind, brush it up, you have totally changed the picture that those birds have been looking at. So I want to have all of my blinds done at least two weeks before season starts where it gives the birds time to acclimate to those and they don't just stick out like a sore thumb. So I kind of break mine down into that three-step process and I want that last step done at least two weeks before season starts. How about you, Rocky? What are you doing down there? When did you start and what are you working on? Right now, uh, I'm, my main focus with, with being a month and a half away, because I won't hunt, even though our season opens uh, the Friday after Thanksgiving, we'll have a couple of few days. I won't start hunting until about the second week of December. There's just not the number of birds there to put on a really good hunt for a paying client. So we won't start until about the second week of December. But right now, for me, my main focus is I'm putting in to the places that need to hold a lot of water, and you know I can help hold that water. I'm putting those things in place right now. Um, like I've, I've got an old, just give me an example. I've got an old river run that it's a little flooded timber spot, but it drains out during the summertime, uh, grows up in, in wild grasses, um, barnyard grass, everything that you need to make a good duck hole. And well, a few years ago I had some muskrats come in and burrowed tunnels through the levee of this well it eventually washed out so now right now i'm 
trying to stop up that hole, that, that washout to hold more water in there. So that's one of the things that I'm working on right now. Um, cleaning decoys, getting them out. I've started going going through decoys like you just talked about, J. Paul. Um, and finalizing dates with, with, you know, most of my customer base is built off of return clients. So, you know, making sure all of those are locked in and and we're ready to go for the season from that standpoint. So, um that you know what you brought up, Jay Paul, was an, which was an interesting point, and it can lead us right into this next question. You were talking about preparation for a dog and going into duck season because that's our actually our question from her training with jpaul.com question of the week. Look, what as a as a dog owner retriever owner, what can mm-hmm. you be doing to get your dog in shape and that's that's our question this week what can retriever owners be doing right now to get their dog in shape man that's a really good question and you know believe it or not it's not a very difficult thing to do to get your dog ready for duck season um i'm going to give you three quick easy tips for the guy you know that whose dog has been around as a couch potato for most of the year, and they're ready to start running that dog. Number one, uh, right now you need to be getting that dog out exercising, and you need to be doing it because it's unseasonally warm here in the coolest part of the day. Particularly if that dog's been inside under the air conditioner, you want to be really careful in the early going that you don't stress out your dog or overheat it. Um, with us this morning, some of the dogs that just came back in that aren't in really good shape at about 6.30 this morning, while it was really nice and cool, there was a lot of dew on the ground, I got on the four-wheeler. I had five new dogs that came back in with me, and at about 10 miles an hour, eight, 10 miles an hour, I just took a slow ride for about a mile um, on the four-wheeler with, through the fields behind the, the kennels here, letting the dogs run. When you do that, by the way, another tip, check your dog's feet after the run. If the dog's pads have not toughened up, you want to be real conscious of the surface that you put them on and, uh, you know, make sure you're not tearing up their feet. But start out, just, you know, road them a little bit with the four-wheeler. If you don't you know, want to do that, you've got just one dog, get that dog out there and just throw some, you know, single hand-thrown marks, 10 or 12. 15, let the dog run a little bit, take the dog to the pond, you know, throw, just hand thrown 30, 40 yards as far as you can throw that dummy, 8, 10, 12 out there in the water, just letting it swim out, swim back. Uh, Make sure you don't overdo it because you want to work into it gradually. As these dogs start to get into better condition, uh, the second thing that I'll do is I'll start taking them to the field and putting them on birds again, having people throw for them while I blow the duck call, shooting, you know, getting them in a a hunting type situation to get them conditioned to that. And then, you know, the third piece of the puzzle and getting your dog ready, go out to the blind. If you hunt the same spot or same two or three places, two, three weeks, four duck season, when you're out there brushing those blinds, put the dog in the dog box, get somebody out there and have them, you know, throw some dummies, throw some birds. Let that dog work out of the dog box, out of the, out of the, if it's a pit, you know, out of his spot in the pit. So to summarize, 
start out exercising your dog, roading him on a bicycle, four-wheeler's great, or just throwing hand-thrown marks, taking it gradually, building him up for a couple of weeks, then expose him to some of the stimuli he's going to see in hunting and training, and then finally wrap up by taking the dog out to the blind and letting that dog um, work in the situation where he's going to be hunting. And if you'll do those things, you'll find that your hunt's going to, your dog's going to be in better condition and your hunting's going to be a whole lot more enjoyable because you're going to find any problems that you have and need to correct at the blind before the season starts and not on opening morning. Man, that was a great question, Rocky, and I appreciate it. And this, this part of the broadcast is brought to you by trainingwithjpaul.com. The Training with Jay Paul is a website that prepares you or anybody that you may know that is training a retriever from their home. You can go to Jay Paul's website. He has loads of content, video, written content there. You can even ask a question. Jay Paul usually responds within 24 to 48 hours. Now, when you go to the website and you sign up, you can utilize the own the X discount code. Just type that into the discount code. It'll give you one month for free and access to all areas of training with J Paul. So sign up today, trainingwithjpaul.com. <laughs> Thank you very much for that shameless plug, Rocky. I appreciate it. But I do enjoy our comments that we get and questions. So, man, I hope you guys will go to askjpaul.com at any time. Scott, I know that you're awfully busy and you're getting prepared to do a little deer hunting along with uh getting your stuff ready for duck hunting we really appreciated having you on the podcast with us today and uh before we sign off with you i've got a quick question for you you know we mentioned we mentioned granola bars earlier and and a lot of the times (laughs) we haven't done this much lately but uh one of the things that uh we love to find out is so when you're out there in the field and you're hunting what do you stick in your blind bag? If I go looking for something to eat, for some snack, what am I going to find in the feisty fish blind bag? Oh, what are you going to find? Well, that's, that is a good question. You know, one of my favorite little snacks, and I can thank my, my wife, Amy, for kind of getting me on these things, is cliff bars. I love them. It is kind of falls in that California granola thing, but I will tell you what, it it puts it puts me through uh, – puts me through a morning of hunting. It's a, a nice, quiet little package, easy to keep in there. I usually have three or four of those in there, and uh, it definitely gets me gets me through the day. I don't know that I've ever had a cliff bar, but I guarantee you, when I come out in January to hunt with you, buddy, I'm fixing to snatch one out of your bag, so you better be prepared. <laughs> no, it's, no, I, I'm excited for that, and I really appreciate you guys having me on, uh, you and Rocky. It's been, been a good time. I look forward to getting back on this podcast, and you know, and, and and updating you guys on on what we're doing out here out west. You know, uh, you know when you came out and filmed with me, and uh, you know some of the remarks I got from people after they watched the show and this kind of thing from all over the nation was that people had no idea that California had this to offer. That even and like you mentioned earlier in the cast here, that you know everybody thinks of beaches and this kind of stuff. You know, I, I'll tell you. I mean, you know, I I, I can't say I've hunted everywhere around the world, but I've hunted in a lot of flyways. I've hunted all the flyways. I've hunted, you know, Saskatchewan five or six times, Alberta seven or eight times. I've hunted in Mexico for waterfowl. I've hunted, you know, the majority of the main spots around the world, or at least in, you know, North America for 
for waterfowl, and I will put our flyway up against anybody's anytime, any place right here in the Sacramento Valley. Not saying we got a better and we shoot different ducks and different things. And every place across the nation's got its special things, you know, flooded timber and stuff down down your way or Arkansas or some of the Mississippi Flyway, amazing teal hey. shoots and some of these different things. But I will tell you that we just have such a jewel. And, uh, you know, I encourage any any listeners out there, you know, if you're ever looking for something different to do or definitely want to come out and bang some specs. Remember, you know, a lot of places I think, how many specs are you allowed uh, where you're hunting, Jay Paul? <laughs> two or three. Two or three. Okay. Two well, or three depends. So this year we're allowed ten specs a day and twenty white geese. We do it. We do have a cap on our white geese, but twenty a day, triple uh, daily bag limits. So I mean, you, you know, you could possess ninety snow geese, thirty specs, and then you know, on top of that, we're allowed to kill seven mallards. Uh, I'm not sure your guys' pintail limit, your sprig limit, but we're allowed two out here, and then we shoot. Yeah, we're allowed two here also. We're okay, allowed perfect. two. And yeah, I, that's... If we were sitting in a classroom, by the way, Rocky would be just waving his hand so hard trying to get the teacher's attention. So, Rocky, what you got, brother? You got something you want to ask Scott before we cut out? Yeah. Hey, Scott, let me ask you this: What if you mm-hmm. had to rank it from uh, one to five? On the number of birds at your guide service that you kill, what what are the different types of species that you kill from ranking one to five? Okay, yeah. So I mean, you know, obviously when we get into the geese, it's specks and snows. Okay, I don't target. We do have some honkers and cackling geese. Occasionally, we shoot some Aleutians, which are you know a subspecies of, of the Canadian honker. But I, I really target you know the snows and specks. So those those are obviously a main category. When we start talking ducks, um, it varies year to year in location but if i said our five main species um i mean we're only allowed two sprig just like you guys but pintail would probably be i wouldn't say it's the most prevalent bird but one of them um depending on the area you hunt i would probably say it would it would fall down the line uh pintail uh for me hunting the rice would be pintail widgeon mallard green wing teal we do not shoot a lot of blue wing very rarely i've shot two in my whole life here in the Sacramento Valley, but we shoot a lot of green wing. And, uh, you know, from the number five, I mean, uh, it could vary day to day. I mean, if, you know, I, we typically don't shoot spoonbills, but if you wanted to shoot spoonbills, you could. Um, some of my properties, depending if you're hunting a lot of the marshland around here, like the flooded uh, Thule type stuff, you know, uh, your mallard is going to be your main duck, mallard gadwalls. Um, I personally, you know, don't, prefer shooting gadwalls that's just me i don't really like eating them so i don't shoot them but uh my clients like shooting them they're a big duck um you know so hey, I, now don't I don't say, be a bigot now look don't no don't be no a i'm hater. not i'm not Spoon trying bills. i don't want to you know i hate i know you boys kill a lot of cowboys. i'm not gonna sit there and Spoon talk bills about need it, loving call. too and by yeah, the no, way they that, need that, loving that's too. rocky's favorite duck well we call them gray ducks and and usually i pass on a gray duck but um you know they're becoming more prevalent gray ducks too but the yeah, foodies yeah, yeah. are, are Rocky LaFleur's favorite species, so, so don't 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 <laughs> don't be a bootlip mallard hater, okay? <laughs> you know what? I can't tell you how many days though. You know, with kids, uh, you know, maybe uh, real novice hunters, and then they're having a hard time connecting with some of these ducks. Those foodies have saved my butt as a guy many a time. So I, I definitely don't hate a bill, but personally, when I'm out shooting for myself or with friends. Um, Scott, I let them hey, fly. Uh, I, uh, I save them. Uh, hey, I'm giving you a little fist bump through the uh, through the wire right now. 
Good, I like that, Rocky. But, but yeah, you know, just to kind of end, end my chat with you guys again, I, I, I really appreciate the time on the air. I really enjoyed the show. No, man. We've got a great thing going here, so I look forward to getting back on it with you guys. We were thrilled to have you. Okay, before you hang up. So if a guy from Arkansas, Mississippi, Tennessee, one of our DuckSouth.com listeners wants to book a hunt, how do we find out about you? How do we get hooked up? Awesome. Two ways. One's my cell phone. I'm giving my cell phone and my website. So my cell phone number is area code 530-822-6314. And a lot of info and stuff's on my website at feistyfish.net. That's F-E-I-S-T-Y fish.net. Awesome, man. Well, thanks so much. I'll let you get to it, but it, it was great having you. And we look forward to talking to you again soon. Jay Paul, Rocky, thank you guys. Take care. Thank you, Scott. Really, really glad to have that guy. And he is just an incredible, incredible guy. He is as hardcore as anybody in Northern California, Rocky. I can tell you that for sure. And that brings us to the fact that this part of our podcast has been brought to you by hardcore brands and hardcore decoys. Hardcore is makers of some of the most innovative and durable waterfowling products out there. And you can check out the hardcore-brands.com new website next week and read a little bit about what I was talking about, about being prepared for duck season. So, man, is that guy on top of it in full energy or what, Rocky? Oh, yeah. Uh, Look, that's the cool thing about this show is, is being able to reach out to some of these people who would ever think about, you know, just to, up until a few years ago, even myself, who would think about going duck hunting in California? I, I know I didn't. Oh, no. And, just to, just, and what I'm saying is, from all of these people from all around the United States, I mean, we've been lucky in Canada that we've been lucky enough to have on the show and talk about the differences and the different species that all of these people are are seeing and how they're preparing, how they hunt. It's so cool to learn this new stuff. Yeah, it really is. And and I'll tell you, I'm not saying this just to plug Scott or to get somebody to send some money hunting in Northern California. But if you're out there listening to this podcast and you want to try something cool and different, I mean, hunter success out there is very, very good. It's not nearly as expensive as you would think. Um, Southwest flies um, from Memphis and Nashville and Little Rock to Sacramento via uh, either L.A. or San Diego um, or another stop or two along the way, just depending on how you want to go. But it's not expensive. Um, Rental vehicles are really, really easy to get out of the Sacramento airport. It's a very beautiful drive and a short one from Sacramento to Yuba City. and I would encourage anybody who is wants to do something different and you're thinking about branching out, man, Northern California is just so cool. And the weather is, you know, awesome. I mean, I was there in February year before last, and it was sunny and 75, you know, all three days we were there. Really, really pleasant, comfortable Um Scott runs a first-class operation, too, like you do, Rocky. You, you would have great appreciation for him as a professional. I may, 
I may sneak in your luggage when you go out there this winter. <laughs> you know what? You're going to have to hire somebody else to guide for you because you're going to be traveling so much with me, it sounds like, this year. <laughs> All right. So, let me, hey, let me let me break the listeners into the story, Jay Paul, the one that you and I have been fighting about for a couple of weeks. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to surprise you with this one. So, about a month ago, I was – I'm going to tell the story, and then I'll let you comment on it, Jay Paul. Okay. But about a month ago, I was asked to be a judge on the, the Mississippi State Duck Calling Championship. And Man. But I've got to tell I the story. I know where you're going with this, I think. Go ahead, finish. So I get called, and to me, it was a – it was a – big honor to be to be asked to judge this contest and it actually scared me to death so the first person i tell about it is jay paul i said jay paul you never guess what man i said uh the the commission for the our state calling contest called me and asked me to judge the state calling duck contest this past weekend oh man that's cool but what the hell were they thinking asking you <laughs> what are you what do you that know about judging the, a calling contest? That is not the way that I said that. that yes, it was. The way I said it that. was. I no, promise I, to look, all the people that's listening to this, it okay? was. <laughs> to, to all the people that's listening to this, it's exactly having a conversation with. And I felt <laughs> about an inch tall when Jay Paul did that. That is not what I said. But... That is but <laughs> But listen, Jay Paul and I went through it. I, I mean, it was fine. Uh, I knew what Jay Paul meant because I, I, I admit I never have been around much competition calling. So I talked with Jay Paul about it. He kind of walked me through it. And the cool thing about it is being able to be friends with Josh Raggio. Josh has been in competition calling for a long time. You know, he he was one of the ones that – really walk me through it. All right, be listening for this. And, and if you're around duck calling as much as I am, being in the guide service, you you know what good calling is supposed to sound like. Sure. And, uh, and Josh and Josh said, look, just be listening for squawks, how they transition in between the different, you know, call sounds. And it it, it turned out it was pretty easy. We didn't have but six callers, five callers in the contest anyway. So I t- we had two really good callers, and uh, that, don't get me wrong, all of them were re- good, but there were two really good callers in the contest. So it was hard to kind of cipher those two guys. Yeah, and all right, so now I got to defend myself just a little bit. So indeed, for all you listening, Rocky tells me this, and I'm like, man, that is really cool. I'm like, so they ask you to judge for your first contest, the state championship? And I probably phrased it in a way that was a little bit insensitive. But what I meant was, and look, I've done this, so I know how intimidating it is. I mean, thankfully, my very first calling contest that I ever judged was, oh gosh, 12 years ago or so up at Shields Sporting Goods in Fargo, North Dakota. And it was just a for fun contest and you know and i have judged at a at a higher level particularly in the goose calling um i just got to do a qualifier for the world 
last month at the Point Moulier Waterfowl Festival. But, you know, Rocky, what I meant by that was not to burst your bubble because I know you were so excited. And I guess it was a swift kick to the growing the way I worded it. But, buddy, I promise you. And I keep apologizing for it because, man, you made me feel so bad. You know, that Dude, I, we're that fine. I we're fine. <laughs> it's, so, it's so awesome. What the hell are they thinking asking you? <laughs> I still don't think I said it that way, but I'm glad it turned out really good for you guys. And and I hear that the guy that y'all crowned the champion from all the feedback that I get, he was the definitive winner. So there's no controversy or anything there. I knew you'd do good. I mean, a guy who's been, you know, uh, I mean, look, you and I, whether we like to admit it or not, and neither one of us are Main Street callers, that's for sure. I've heard you blow a duck call a bunch. You've heard me blow mine a bunch. And I, you know, we both can convince ducks to come in and die for us, but neither one of us are ever going to be on Main Street. But like you said, I knew you'd do okay because, you know, you know what it takes to work ducks and what good calling sounds like. And I really appreciate you uh, giving me a paper cut here and putting salt in it for everybody to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it was a good contest. And I'll tell you, the, the only – I'll close the talk about the duck calling competition with this – you know, like I said, we had two really, really exceptional callers that called in the contest. And I think the what set the two apart was the the, the other guy that was an exceptional caller. He had one mess up that, that everybody heard in the second round. Now, they have three rounds that you go through and you score those three rounds. But uh, one of the exceptional callers had a mess up there in the second round. And you could tell it when we walked out to the front, all of our scores – that we scored them on, it it fell right into place, exactly how it should have been. So uh, as far as the judge uh, overall, judging it overall, I mean, the, I think the judges did an exceptional job. And I was sitting wow. next to Josh. I mean, not like that Josh and I talked a lot about it or anything, but I was sitting next to Josh, and, and it, was, it was some really good judges back there. So, yeah. I'm glad anyway. you had a good time, and you. I'm glad you enjoyed it, even though I, I insulted you tremendously a few weeks ago. But turns out good. And uh, <laughs> hey, I've got an announcement I'm gonna make to you. All right, let her rip. I'm a hundred percent confident that I'm voting for Donald Trump now. That's not a not that the, not not that that was ever in doubt, but I, I was almost to the point, Jay Paul, that I was. I said, I'm not even going to vote for this. I'm just sick of hearing about it. I know, you know exactly how you feel. But the thing is, we've all got to vote because, you know, taking no action is just as bad as taking the wrong action. I mean, well, I don't like either choice, but I'm like you. I'm 100% certain that I'm going to go to the polls and I'm going to punch my card for Donald Trump. I mean, the only way I would vote for Hillary is if I'm getting to vote to send her butt to prison. I, I, what I'm not, I, don't, that's, I don't want people to take what I'm saying is that I never had in my mind that I was going to vote for Hillary, okay? I never inv- would ever vote for Hillary or any candidate like her. But no, you know, I know what I you're laid, saying. You I was laying in bed. At all. Right. I, I was laying in bed last night, and I was really thinking about all that's going on. 
and with the release of the tapes from NBC executives uh, over, what, last week before the debate started, and even the Republicans are so hard coming after Trump. I, look, the Republicans, don't, they don't even represent me anymore. They are so far out there and all about themselves that the, they don't even represent me and what I stand for. So, the, number one, if the liberal Democrats and the liberal media are coming after you the way they're coming after Donald Trump, first off, he's probably a pretty good guy then. If the Republicans are coming after you to go along with them, you really are anti-establishment. And that's why I'm voting for Donald Trump. I am 100% a Donald Trump guy now. Wow. Wow. And and that makes good sense. I mean, that's a that's a really good, strong argument. We've ran on pretty long here, but, uh, you know, it seems like for us that are conservative too, we're coming to, and that are sportsmen, we're coming under fire in a lot of different ways. We'll be uh, we'll be doing this again here in a couple of days, and uh, I want the guys out there at DuckSouth.com take a look. If you haven't heard, Google it. Take a look at what's going on between Scent Blocker and Dicks. Rocky, I don't want to talk about it today. I want to save it for a couple of days. I'd like no, guys good. to get on the DuckSouth.com forum, you know, and, and go to the forum. Let's start a conversation. Let, let's hear a little bit of the feedback. And then when we reconvene later this week, uh, let's, uh, let's talk about it then. And by the way, our next guest here, guest here in a few days, uh, barring something happening, is going to be Brian Baker. Brian Baker and his buddy and partner, Monty Feck, they operate Crane Records. A few weeks ago, you heard Brad Albert talking about these guys a little bit. They are probably the largest Sandhill Crane guide service uh, in the country. I mean, I know there's some guys in Texas that that kill a lot of cranes. These guys are in Oklahoma, and they account for a huge percentage of the annual harvest every year of Sandhill Cranes in Oklahoma. So, And Brian's a really, really colorful character, and I guarantee you he's going to bring something to the discussion about scent locker and, and dicks and uh, – so we'll save that for the next one. Rocky, before we go here, any closing thoughts? Yeah. Hey, my closing thought is I'd love to get when the season gets going. I think one of the most underutilized hunting, underutilized hunting that's done in the South is, is goose hunting. And I think that really and truly we really need to focus on that in this podcast and, and teaching um, – novice and beginning goose hunters on how to hunt specks and snows because there's so many around. So I'd, I'd love to get Scott back on sometime in the near future just to talk about hunting specks because if he's able to kill 10 out there per day, he knows how to kill them. I mean, I, I guarantee from what you said, he does a great job. So let's get him back on to talk about strategy in the near future, about how yeah. to kill these specks. I would love that because I could tell you while we were out there, we had one day we killed 67. And, of course, the bag limits are much more liberal. It was in February. It was during their conservation season. But i got to make note about something that a lot of people don't know. Their conservation season is very different from ours. You have to have your plug in your gun, and you cannot use an electronic calling device. So these guys, uh, Scott in particular, 
he is extraordinarily successful at killing stucklebelly geese and snow geese. I'm going to share a photo, uh, let Josh share a photo on our website, DuckSouth.com, from that hunt. And you're going to see a whole mess of birds that were killed with traditional calling. I think that's a great point, Rocky. And uh, I think here in a couple of weeks from now, when the season gets rolling, they start killing specks. We need to have him back on and discuss that. Man, I want to thank all of our listeners out there once again for joining us this week for our podcast. Of course, brought to you by Bear Animal Healthcare, makers of Advantage Multi, the only heartworm preventative proven to be 100% effective against heartworms. It's been great, Rocky. Look forward to talking to you later on this week. And thanks again, everybody out there, for listening to the On the X podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com. 